If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh thanks for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you this morning. I want to say a special uh, welcome to our location in Washington, Lake of the Ozarks. Glad that they're, you're joining us on video as well. Um, this morning, Brian asked me, well, actually, he didn't ask. He told me that, that I'll be preaching on prayer and fasting. And that's the exact response I expected right there, complete silence. Uh, He sent me a text a a month or so ago, a couple months ago, and he said, hey, Rick, he said, would you you mind preaching? Would you like to preach on this particular day? And um, it's not, I've I've gotten away from preaching. It's been a long time since I was on staff here at Jubilee. It was something I used to do consistently, not so much anymore. So I thought, wow, that's a real privilege. That's an honor to be asked. And so I said, what do you want me to preach on? He says, I want you to preach on prayer and fasting. I thought, hmm, not so much an honor there. I thought, man, can you give me a different topic or something, you know? And it was, uh, so I remember having a conversation with my wife. I said, Brian wants me to preach. She said, really? And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I'm not so sure I want to do that, though. She said, how come? She says, he wants me to preach on prayer and fasting. And so I said to him, I said, look, can you give me a couple of days to actually pray about this? Because I'm really not, you know, I want to make sure that this is something I'm supposed to do. And he said, yeah, no problem. So I wrestled with God a bit and uh, honestly wasn't really looking forward to it. Fasting is not one of those things that's just, you know, at the pinnacle of your joy list, you know. And so I thought, how do you make that, you know, exciting? How do you do this, God? And so, um, but he spoke and, and as a result of that, in preparation leading up to this, I really have had a different attitude, if you will. God's given me a a more clear perspective on it, and I hope that comes through in uh, the message here this morning. Now, let's just get the preliminaries out of the way, and let's just state what's obvious to almost all of us. Prayer is hard, and fasting is darn near impossible. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it feels like that most of the time, doesn't it? And so, when you give yourself to fasting, I know there's all sorts of benefits and you can read the list. Oh, here's some spiritual advantages. Here's some spiritual benefits to fasting. I'm familiar with most of those, but I know this, when I'm fasting, those are the least thing I'm thinking of. The only thing I'm thinking of when I'm fasting is food. It's kind of like, don't think about the elephant in the room. Don't think about the elephant in the room. Don't think, that's all I can think about is the elephant in the room. And so let me give you a practical hint Uh, in terms of a guide when you fast. And I didn't say if you fast, but when, because it's a definite practice I would encourage you to give yourself to, and you're gonna see why here as we follow along. But just on a practical level, don't ever, 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 
watch network television when you fast, okay? Netflix may be okay because there's no commercials, but network television, don't do it because you never realize how many food commercials are on until you fast. And when you're fasting, it's like every other commercial is an Arby's commercial. And the guy's saying, Arby's, we have the meat. And I'm thinking, yeah, you've got the meat, but I got nothing, you know? And so there's McDonald's. I don't like McDonald's, but all of a sudden when I'm fasting, a Big Mac looks pretty good. And then, you know, there's Applebee's eating good in the neighborhood. And I thought, well, maybe in your neighborhood, but not in mine. I wish I had some of that. And it's like you can smell the aroma coming through the TV. And you think, man, this is torture. And besides that, you get a splitting headache, you know, and you get these hunger pains. And it's like, yeah, I know all the advantages. I know all the benefits to fasting. But when I'm in the midst of that, rarely does that come through. And so hopefully we can change some of that as we move along. Fasting for me does one of the impossible things. It can actually make spam look inviting. If you don't know what spam is, ask your grandparents. They'll be glad to tell you. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that there's not a spiritual gift of fasting? I noticed that when I was studying this. That there's no spiritual gift of fasting. And I wondered why. I thought, well, it's obvious why no one would ever want that gift. I mean, Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But if we had an altar call say, is there anybody here who desires the gift of fasting? It'd be the shortest line in the history of the church. Nobody would be in that line. Or how would you like to receive prayer from someone who, want, who has the gift of fasting and they want to bless you? I just want to bless you. I have the gift of fasting. Say, no, thanks. I'm planning on lunch afterwards, you know. It's just awkward, really weird stuff. How many times do you, have, when you wake up in the morning in the midst of getting ready for your day, you think about food? I do all the time. I can't tell you how many times I think about food in the course of a day. But I can tell you exactly how many times I've bounced out of bed, raised my hand to heaven and say, hallelujah, I get a fast today. That would be zero. I've never done that. I've never, ever had that kind of reaction. I remember Years ago when the Confluence leaders, and they still do, they gather, Confluence is the family, the network of churches we're a part of here in the Midwest. And our Confluence leaders would gather for times of prayer. And some, a lot of those times would be days of fasting. We would fast. And I remember this one particular uh, <clears throat> meeting, there was some confusion about the schedule. And, you know, we weren't quite sure when things were going to start and end and blah, blah, blah. And in the midst of all this stuff, there was someone who lifted their, their voice, a voice of reason, and said, look, all I want to know is this. When do we stop eating? When do we start eating? That's all I want to know. And for most of us, that's how it feels when we fast. When do we start? When do we stop? And the reason for that is because our lives move in the direction of our desires, our lives move in the direction of our desires or our appetites. And you can use those words interchangeably because they mean the same thing. Look at what James, and James is the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he wrote this very practical letter at the end uh, that's been placed at the end of the New Testament. He says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's our desires that lure us, that entice us, that cause us to go in certain directions. And these desires, they're not bad. 
They're not evil in and of themselves. They can be good desires. They can be the desire for significance, the desire to be loved, the desire to be accepted, the desire to to, uh, make an impact in the world. These are good things. But what can happen is that when we begin to recognize these desires as an end in and of themselves, they begin to compete with our desire for God. And one of the things that fasting does is it holds a mirror up to our desires and shows us the condition of our heart and shows us whether these desires are actually competing for our desire and our hunger for God. I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. I'm not always aware of the condition of my heart. That's why sometimes my wife and I, we've been married 37 years We still obviously argue. We're a normal couple. And sometimes in the midst of an argument, I'll say something, I'll think, where did that come from? It came from within my heart. Gail and I, we meet with couples uh, pretty regularly, couples to help them through struggles in their marriage. And that would include just about everybody. I mean, if you've been married more than a week, you're gonna have problems. That's just the nature of marriage. Put two people together with different backgrounds. That's normal life. And so we'll meet with couples uh, quite frequently in order just to help them through their struggles. And one of the things, I'm kind of weird, I know, but one of the things I like to have happen when we get couples together is I like to hear them argue. The reason is when they argue, I see what's in their heart because what's in their heart comes out. I remember years ago when I was in college, I'll never forget this, we were um, the, the group, the Christian group that I was a part of, we went away on a retreat and the speaker at this particular retreat, he had a glass that was, was uh, full of water. And he had a gal from the, from, the, from the group come up and he said, I want you to shake my hand. And so she shook his hand and the water obviously spilled out. And he said, okay, what just happened there? She says, well, the, the water came out. He said, why did water come out? He says, well, because I shook your hand. Well, that's partially true. Why else? He said, because that's what was in the glass. And God will use other people to shake you to show you what's in you. When our boys were younger, uh, we raised two boys. When our boys were younger, we would never allow them to say, well, he made me do that. We'd say, no, he didn't make you do that. You chose to do that. That's what was in your heart. And one of the benefits of fasting is it shows us what's in our heart. And that alone would give it significance and a reason for why we would need to make it a part of our life. Now, there's a huge misunderstanding about fasting. And I know this is where, like I said earlier, this is where I was most of my life. So let's talk about what fasting is not. Fasting is not giving up something for God in order to get something from God. That is not what fasting is. It's not some sort of spiritual arm wrestling that we do with God in order to get him to give us something. And we see this in the book of Colossians. This is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to this small church in the city of Colossae. And they were going through some things. And he says this in chapter two, verse 20 through 23. It'll be up here on the screen. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and he said, now he he says, if... 
He's making an assumption. Obviously, he said, basically, if they're born again, if they have a relationship with Jesus, walking in relationship with Jesus, they have died to the elementary principles of this world. Okay? And we're going to see what that is here in a little bit. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So evidently the Christians in Colossae, they, there were some false teachers there who were basically telling them, look, to be a Christian, it means this. It means you don't partake in this you don't taste this, and you don't touch this. And so obviously, in order to secure a right relationship with God, they abstained from those things. That makes sense. In our wisdom, we'd say, well, that would be wise. But Paul says, that's of no use. That's of no use. Why is it of no use? Because that is how the elementary principles of the world function. Now, what he means by that is within our culture today, there are principles that the culture basically functions according to. And some of these principles are the same today as they were in the time when Paul wrote this. One of these principles is what I would call, you can name it different things, a barter system. I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. And that's what these guys were doing in Colossae. They were giving up something so that they could secure a right relationship with God. They were operating according to the elementary principles of the world. Paul says, look, you've died to that. That's not how the kingdom of God is. The primary principle, elementary principle in the kingdom of God is the principle of grace. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, but I made you alive together with Christ. That's grace. What did you do to earn that? Nothing. You were dead. Last time I checked, dead people don't do anything. And that's not just a theme through the New Testament. It's a theme through all the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. God said to Israel, I chose you, not you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of all the, the nations. I chose you because you were actually the least. I wanted to magnify my own glory and my grace. So the theme of grace runs throughout the scriptures. And it doesn't function. We don't, we're part of that kingdom, folks. If you're walking with Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of that kingdom of grace. You do not walk according to the elementary principles of this world. You do not give something up in order to get something from God. That's not how it works. So fasting is not that at all. Now in this church, throughout our history, we've had various times when we've called the church to pray and fast. And those have been times of, Significant decisions, like I believe when we set Brian in as the lead elder, we declared a time, we, say, we asked the church, invite him to pray and fast. When we secured buildings and, and big decisions and various things like that, we invited the church to fast. And we did that not so that we could say, oh God, look at us, we're doing this so you can do this for us. No, we didn't know what God would do in some of those situations, but we wanted to humble ourselves knowing that he knew what's best and we were gonna submit to him. So we give up, we abstain from things that are actually of lesser value in order to 
fellowship with him in order that our desire for him might be increased. And when you think about it, what could God give us that he hasn't already given us? Ephesians 1 says, Paul says, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now think about that. Just take a moment and think about that. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ has already been given to us. Listen, folks, it's not that God's withholding from us. It's that we're withholding from him because our desires for him are too small. They're too small. And fasting will help. It's a tool that God can use to increase our desire and our appetite for him. Give you an example. Luke chapter four, Jesus tells a story about, he likens salvation to a banquet. There was this royal banquet that was gonna be held and the king sent out invitations throughout the kingdom to people everywhere. And it wasn't just like, hey, come hang out at my place for dinner or something. No, this is a royal bay. This is a huge deal. And unless your, your life is threatened or something, you're, you're gonna go. But Jesus, in this story, he says there were three people who declined the invitation. They didn't say, eh, I'm not sure if I want to. They just, they said no. Imagine that, saying no to the king. No to the king. And one of them said, look, I just purchased some land. I've got some responsibilities with that. I need to clear up the title and the deed and blah, blah, blah. I said, no, nah, I can't do it. Another person said, look, I just purchased two yoke of oxen. You know, I got to take care of them. Got to make sure the stalls are clean and got to make a place for them in the pen. And blah, I, I, can't, I can't do it. And the third person said, hey, I just got married. You know, you think I'm going to go to a stupid banquet? I'm going to stay with my wife. There's no way I'm going to that. And they said, no. Now, these things in and of themselves, they're not bad. It's not bad to own land or material possessions or things like, those are good things. Those are fine. It's not bad to be married. It's a good thing to be married. It's not bad to own animals or material things. Or th those are fine. But when we, our desires for those things are greater than for the king of kings, that's a problem. Then there's a story of, parable, very familiar, parable of the sower. And this is a story where Jesus said there was a sower who went out and sowed seed. And he went on to explain that this seed is the word of God. Now, typically when we think of the word of God, we think of a Bible, but it's so much more than that because this seed, which represented the word of God, as it went out, it brought forth life. And where it brought forth life was in the soil, obviously. Well, the soil is representative of our hearts. And there were different kinds of soil. And one of the soil was soil where there were a lot of thorns and thistles. And Jesus, when he's explaining this soil to his disciples, he says this, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches. And get this, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, pleasures of life are good things. I'm grateful for the pleasures of life. They're not bad things. They're not wicked things. But they can compete for our affection with God. And they can 
decrease our appetite and desire for God. My favorite time of year is Christmas. And it's not because of the presents. The, as I get older, I just turned 60, just actually a week ago. And as I've gotten older, one of the things, strange things happen when you get older. Things that didn't seem all that important when you were younger, all of a sudden they're important. Um, you think about things you didn't really think about before. But one of the things, I've always valued uh, my family, but one of the things that has increased kind of in value for me has been my family. Um, and so for me, Christmas, the reason I love Christmas because all the family comes together. We've got two boys, they're both married, and we've got seven of the most beautiful grandchildren on the face of the earth, and they're just a blast. So when they come to Grandpa and Grandma's house, I mean, we, you know, we get the cans of whipped cream out, we're putting whipped cream in their mouth, you know, Grandpa, give me some whipped cream, you know, we, I mean, just, you know, it's, it's open season on spoiling the kids. So we love it. I mean, it's just a great time. Now, one of the traditions, or, or some of the, our favorite to do, traditions, I should say, <coughs> deal with food. And so one of the meals that we have, usually on Christmas Eve and Easter, is a meal called ham rolls. Now, ham rolls are one of God's greatest gifts to mankind, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. They are made with ham that's ground up in, in a grinder, combine it with a little sausage, you put some other things with it, you roll them up into some logs, put them in a, a big baking dish, and then you just lather it with this sweet brown sugar sauce. And it bakes for two hours at 275 degrees. I've made these, trust me. And when you're done, your taste buds will do the hokey pokey. I mean, they're just amazing. They are amazing. Now, on Christmas Eve, when I know we're having ham rolls, I refrain from snacking on the seasoned pretzels that my wife makes because our youngest son likes those. Now, those are really, really good. I don't, I don't, really, I don't like pretzels, but seasoned pretzels, I can't stop eating. They're just, they're magnificent. And I refrain from eating the Chex Mix that my wife makes for our oldest son because she knows he likes those. And there's also mixed nuts and various other things but I'm not going to eat those. Why? Because I know what's coming down the pipe. And I want to have a ravaging appetite for ham rolls. I don't want to be snacking on pretzels and Chex Mix and mixed nuts because when I sit down to eat ham rolls, I, don't, I want to have an appetite. I don't want to look at this meal that I've been looking forward to all year and say, you know, what? I'm kind of full. I don't really want that. Are you crazy? No. And this is exactly what happens to us when we constantly snack on the things of this world. It quenches our appetite for the greater things of God and his kingdom. Look at this quote by John Piper, pastor and author. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for great. And this is what fasting really is. It's the joyful denial of lesser things in order to strengthen and, our, strengthen and increase our appetite for God and his glory. 
Now listen, folks, there's nothing morbid about fasting. Am I depressed on Christmas Eve because I can't eat Chex Mix and seasoned pretzels? No, that doesn't bother me a bit. Why? Because I know that in just a short bit, we're gonna have ham rolls and twice-baked sweet potatoes and green beans and mushrooms and cream corn swimming in cream cheese and dark chocolate mousse for dessert. Am I sad that I can't have those things? No way. I'm thrilled because I know what's coming up. Fasting is a joy because we're surrendering our lesser appetites, asking God to increase our appetite for something far, far superior. The essence of fasting is not sacrificial self-denial. The essence of fasting is that as I surrender my appetite for lesser things of this world and turn to Jesus in faith, in faith, he'll increase my desire and appetite for greater things found in him and his kingdom. Listen, it's no coincidence that Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. Now, when he says bread, I don't think he means literal bread, okay? I think he's referencing food. And what he's saying is, obviously, we know we need food to live. I think my wife is the only person in the whole wide world. One time we were asking each other a question. We said, is there anything that you really wish you didn't have to do in life? She said, yeah, I wish I didn't have to eat. I'm thinking, oh, oh, are you kidding me? That's one of the greatest joys in my life is eating. You know, I love to eat. But we need food to eat, right? So we need food to eat. But Jesus said, look, I'm the bread of life. I'm food. And what he's saying is satisfaction, fulfillment in life comes from me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and we put a great deal of emphasis on that, but he also said, I'm the life. And let me just say, in all sincerity, as graciously as I can, if you're not connected to Jesus in a relationship with him, you're really not living because he's life. He's the author of life. He's the giver of life. You may be breathing, but you're not living. God's got so much more for you. So much more for you. And we were made to desire God. How do I know that? Because we're created in God's image, right? Scripture says we're created in the image of God. God, from all eternity, has existed as a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They had this unique relationship. There was love, there was community, and there was desire amongst them. We're created in that image, Within us, there's this desire to relate to God. But what happens is we quench our desire on the things of this world. Things like Twitter and Instagram and sports, Facebook, career, kids, marriage, education. I can go on and on and on. And we stuff ourselves on these things quenching our appetite for God. And this is what brings us to Psalm 63, one through five. So let's look at this. Now, as we read this, I want you to not just see what Paul is saying with your eyes. I want you to hear what he's saying with the ears of your heart. Listen, feel 
what, not Paul, excuse me, what David, feel what David is saying here in this psalm. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Do you feel the passion and the desire that David has for God? He uses words like yearning, seeking, thirsting, even fainting for God. Let me ask you, do any of those words describe your desire for God? That's what God has for us. He's got that for us. He wants us to be like this. And why are David's desires for God so strong? Well, he tells us, he says, because David knows that God's love is better than life. That's an amazing statement. The implications for that are life-changing. Now just think about that just for a moment. If God's love is better than life, what should we be running after? We should be running after God. Now get this. The other implication is, if you're a child of God, that love from God is secure. It cannot be lost. Is that great? God's not like your live-in boyfriend or girlfriend who on a whim all of a sudden they want to leave. He's not like the boss who gets upset with you and fires you or, or whatever. He's not like that at all. His love is unconditional. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. It says, the goodness and mercy of God follow you all the days of your life. There's never been a day in your life when God's goodness and mercy didn't follow you like a puppy dog at your heels, yapping, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, hey, I love you, and we're nibbling at the world. And he says, I love you, I love you, my love is better than life. Oh God, help us. Help us quench these desires for lesser things that we would run hard after you. And fasting is a tool that God can use to help with that. It's a good thing. And we have a week of prayer coming up and I wanna encourage you to give yourself the fast. Not the whole week if you want to. That's between you and Jesus. You can do that. But just to fast something. I'm pretty certain I know what God wants me to abstain from during that week. Because I know in my heart, there can be a competing desire, an appetite for something that I've had to hold in check for a long time. 
but I want God to deal with me and make sure that it's not competing with the things of God. Have the band come on up. I'm going to finish up here. Very familiar scripture here, Matthew 4, 4. It's not going to be on the screen, but many of you already know it. Jesus said this. He said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. Okay, we get that. But then it goes on to say, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our life, our sustenance, our satisfaction is found in God. Not from anything else this world has to offer. So I want to encourage you as the week of prayer approaches, pray. Ask God, God, do you want me to abstain from something? Do you want me to fast something? He may, he may not. But if he does, do it with joy. Yeah, you'll get hungry, you get a headache. But if that's all we have to go through to suffer for Jesus, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I'll take headaches and hunger pangs all day long if it means that God increases my appetite for him because that's what I want more than anything. Let's stand.